my friend was broke. She didn't know what to do or where to turn. I'm Nora Ellen. The reason I began this podcast called Women Starting Over is to help women like my friend who find themselves in financial hardship, like divorce, or lost their job or went bankrupt, or maybe, sadly, their husband passed away. You will love these real-life stories of my guests of how they went from being broke to hope to financial success. If she can do it, so can you. Here we go. All right, welcome back, my friend. I'm really excited today because the wonderful guest that I have is somebody new for me that I just met in person a couple of months ago through the mastermind group of women that I started. She is a certified financial planner. She's been advocating for clients, mostly women, with their financial health for almost 20 years. She's originally from Wisconsin. She's helped clients with their financial lives in a fiduciary capacity in a bank setting, accounting firm at Vanguard at a financial planning firm. And now she writes, speaks, and educates women in their education business, in her education business, Mind, Money, Motion, and especially about how money is a tool which we're going to talk about. She also has a Phoenix-based independent advisory practice called Focus Point Planning, where she offers financial planning and wealth management. She is a volunteer ambassador and board member for the Financial Awareness Foundation. And the cool thing, too, is she authors a financial tech checklist book series. She also has her own podcast called, guess what, Mind money, motion. She is amazing. When I first met her, Marie, at the mastermind group that we had, it was click at first sight or kindred spirits. I'm very impressed with her. She's just sharp, professional, accomplished. And I love what she has on her website. She holds up this little sign. Are you expecting your man to be your financial plan? I love that because that's what I did. That's what I thought for so many years. And she spoke at the Harvard Club of Boston. She's been featured in the Washington Business Journal, Phoenix Business Journal. Welcome, Marie Burns. Thank you, Nora. I appreciate you inviting me. Anytime I get a chance to connect with other women, whether it's virtually or live and in person, I am appreciative. Thank you. Absolutely. Marie, tell us what got you into this business in the first place? You know, I think for the longest time, I didn't even realize the impact that my grandmothers had on me from the standpoint of, uh, and, and just a note to our listening friends to check out my YouTube because you can see I, I tell this story about how both of my grandmothers became widows, one in her 20s and one in her 50s. And I would consider both of those young, even though the average age of a widow in the United States is actually 57, which I also think is young. But anyway, sure is. So seeing them both go through the, the starting over aspect of you were a couple and now you're single, 
And of course, they both had children just at different ages at those times. And how they both moved forward through that really impacted me probably more than I realized for a long time. Um, and I also probably feel a little bit like an underdog. I like to help. I think that's very common amongst women where we're helping nature. And so that was kind of me through high school and college figuring out how do I want to help. And in this finance industry, there's hardly any women helping other women. There's like 20% or less. And that percentage has really not changed much over the years. Wow. So that's probably a little bit of you know, my personal impact background and then the whole wanting to help and being a, an advocate for women, what really drew me to the industry itself. Okay, and that is a good reason. I did listen to your, when you spoke at the Harvard Club of Boston, where you started mm-hmm. out with your grandmother's story. And right. I, I expected you to say how she was... 60 years old and she was 28 that is so young and shocking especially back then it was a long time ago when women weren't expected to understand about money it was their man was their financial plan (laughs) right and that was probably somewhat generational i think it's Mm -hmm. changed a little bit over the years but not necessarily and you know when two people come together in a relationship just like any relationship, we, we all bring baggage with us, right? Yes, it's sure. financial related or, or other related, but certainly the financial experiences we've had, we bring to a relationship. So that's one of the pieces that I find really helpful to help women understand is you had financial relationships that got you to where you are today. But that was also, and I think you talk about this a lot in the past, but that was also all impacted by that thermostat that was set for us by the time we were seven years old. And it's really a relationship thermostat, relationship with money, people, food. All of that is set because of the way our brain works. When we are very young, our brain physiologically has no capability of filtering information it just absorbs that's why we all oftentimes catch ourselves saying children are like little sponges because they absorb and then of course repeat at exactly the wrong times what they did (laughs) (laughs) so on the one hand it's a good thing right they learn fast but from the money standpoint if i ask women i'll do this a lot in workshops when you hear the word money what what word comes to mind? Or if you think about your childhood and money, what one word comes to mind? And everybody has a different Mm. feeling on that. Some are positive, some are negative, but it very much goes back to those thermostat development years, ages zero to seven, whatever happened around you, you heard, you watched, you felt, you saw anything money message related, you just absorbed. You had no ability to say, Oh, that was good. Mm. Oh, no, that was dysfunctional. Yep, nope, I'm not going to do that. There was no ability to do any of that. So just recognizing, I think, especially for women who are, for whatever reason, starting over or or now on their own and not, not maybe in a relationship, 
just recognizing why your money personality is very much like it is today has a lot to do with something you had no control over, and that was your childhood. So you cannot blame yourself. And I, I sometimes think parents should be a, a big focus of this information because parents don't even realize the impact they're having a lot of times in those thermostat years, not just on the money personality, but, but other things too. So I think helping women recognize, okay, a lot of how and why I feel like I am today has to do with what I experienced as a child. I can't change that. I couldn't control it then. But being aware helps you figure out why you feel like you do today with money and then how to move forward from that. And the other piece of our money mindset or our money personality is the relationship piece that we started to talk about. And if you're in a relationship with any significant other, they research has actually identified there's typically three types of couples that we tend to fall in from a financial uh, standpoint as far as money-making decisions and personal finance. And the first type of couple is called the driver and passenger couple. So just like it sounds, one person is the driver. They know where they're going. They know everything about what's happening. They make all the decisions. And the passenger is oftentimes totally unaware and usually happy as a clam that they don't have to deal with all that financial stuff. So there's one doer, one knower, and another one that's literally a passenger along for the ride, the driver and passenger couple. I think that one Oftentimes we have grandparents or parents come to mind as I'm describing this um, because sometimes I think that's generational, but it's not always the man that was the driver either. I know many couples today that the woman is the driver and in my workshops, then they're the ones that they're there because they're worried about my husband's going to be lost if something happens to me first. And so they're trying to get, things in order to make it easier on him later when he doesn't really know um, about the financial things and and they want to make it easier for them later. So the driver could be a man or a woman. So there's no stereotyping there. So that's the driver and passenger couple. The second type of couple is called the joined at the hip couple. Both members talk about all things financial to make all the decisions together But then still, there's just one of them that actually takes action on those decisions. One doer. They both know and they're aware and decide, but there's still just one that takes the actions. That's the joined at the hip couple. And then the research finds that the third couple is called the divide and conquer couple. Both members of the couple talk about and decide all things together, very similar to that joined at the hip couple. But then the difference is that then they split the duties. So they both end up being doers on part of the decisions. I always use the example of myself because my husband and I have kind of evolved into, I take care of the investments and the insurance and he takes care of the banking and the bill pay. So when we think about which which of those three couple types, the driver and passenger, the joined at the hip couple, or the divide and conquer couple, which one would you guess 
is the least common or the most rare. Wow. Ironically, I... oh, did you want to guess? No? <laughs> Divide and conquer. <laughs> it is. That's, that's the least common. And ironically, it is also the category that the survivor does the best mm. after the other one is gone. Because whether it's the husband or the wife, they've both been accustomed to doing half of the duties. And they've made all the decisions together before. So now they just have to absorb the other half of the duties, the, the doing, the tasks, versus the other two categories. Depending on which one's the survivor, you could have all of it dumped in your lap that you've never had to take action on before. Much, much more stressful and traumatic. Sure, absolutely. So, wow. So that whole, you know, money personality mindset is is first impacted by our childhood and then secondly impacted by the relationships we've had throughout our financial lives. And I've talked to women that said, gee, I've been all three of those types of couples at some point in my life. So, um, you know, everybody's in a different situation. But again, the acknowledging, the awareness, the recognizing where you came from, how did you get to today, is really important to understand. And then, you know, in some cases, forgive yourself or or at least allow the fact to be that this is how I am because some things I couldn't control or now that I am in control, here's what I'm going to change moving forward. Which is so paramount to what can I do moving forward that is the best mindset to be in changing and starting over let me ask you if let's talk about the difference between the financial planner and the financial advisor especially for a woman who is starting over from almost nothing so that's a, a really good point because there's there's no specific definition of an advisor in in the industry you can call yourself an advisor whether you have a degree or whether you have one or more licenses or whether you are like myself and you have a cfp a certified financial planner designation which is you know similar to a cpa certified public accountant you have exams and continuing ed that you have to go through um Plus the added fiduciary aspect. I think that's the, the one piece that most people who are looking to work with an advisor of some kind is, do they have my best interest in mind? Are they going to act as a fiduciary when they give me advice? And the CFP, Certified Financial Plan Designation, is a requirement of that designation is that you do act as a fiduciary. So that's I think one key helpful criteria to look for when people are considering working with an advisor, where they call themselves an advisor or a planner, and there can be a difference there. Sometimes advisors will only deal with insurance or only deal with investments. Sometimes planners will only deal with financial planning and not investments. So you definitely need to, I always tell people it's like shopping in general, you should check out at least two, if not three options and ask them all similar questions about what they what do they do how do they charge what's their philosophy uh, on investing if they do investment management so there's 
it, it's definitely challenging because the industry does not have real specific requirements to use the word advisor. They don't have a code of ethics that we have as in the real estate industry. <laughs> which is... Yeah, the code of ethics is, is associated with the CFP. Okay. Yes, the Certified Financial Planner designation. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's good to know about that part. Very important. Let's talk about how the brain works when it comes to money, where you say it's a tool and yet we can have emotional attachments. How do we help ourselves as women in this way? This is another really important area to understand about our brains. We talked about in childhood how it's our brain is really not developed enough to be making you know, wise financial decisions, certainly at that young age. The brain is wired to, you know, if you think back in the caveman days, it's survival. It's feel, react, feel, react, feel, react. So it's emotion, reaction, emotion, reaction. And when it comes to money, the more we can shift our mindset to money being a tool, just another tool in our toolbox in life, we don't get emotionally attached to most tools, do we? When I hear the word tools, I'm thinking of my husband's toolbox, mm-hmm. of which I have no desire, no understanding, and no ability to use those tools. <laughs> but as women, when we hear the word tools, we still have tools. Maybe they are kitchen tools. Maybe they are makeup tools. Maybe they are art or hobby supply tools. So we all have something that we could technically think of as tools. And if I asked any of us, whatever our tools are, do we get emotionally attached to our paintbrush or our kitchen measuring spoons or our favorite lipstick? <laughs> mm-hmm. The answer is N-O. No, 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 right? <laughs> There's no emotional attachment to those things. And yet we emotionally attach to money, but money is just a tool. So I challenge women to think in terms of money is just another tool, just like my makeup or my kitchen tools or my work tools of, of whatever hobby it is or profession that I have to help yourself look at it more from a, here's what I need, here's what I have, so here's how I have to use the, the money tool. So that's definitely a mindset thing, but it also helps to train your brain to get out of the emotion because you feel emotion, you're going to take action. And that can happen with spending, for example, right? We can tend to overspend if we feed our emotions with, with money uh, in that respect. So the good news is that, you know, 85 plus percent of our actions are habits, no thinking required. So we have to just train ourselves to practice remembering money is a tool and then acting on it without emotion. And if we can do that long enough, it can become a habit as well. But we have to recognize that there's this emotional side of the brain and a logical side of the brain. And and this is way oversimplifying, but when we experience emotion, I think of it like if you ever walked into like a big arena or a building or a garage where there was this big sudden pressure change and and a door slammed because of the pressure change. Mm -hmm. If you think of your brain working exactly that same way, when you 
well up basically with emotion, the door slammed between the emotional and the logical side. You're locking out the logical side of the brain from working. So something as simple as stopping and taking three deep breaths, let's say three deep breaths can reset your brain. What that does is cracks that little door open and lets the logical side try to re-engage so that you're not only thinking and stuck with the emotional side. That so if, is if so women, key. Yeah, and it's, it's again, it's a realization, always easier to say than to do. But even just the simple practice of anytime you feel yourself getting stressed about any money decision, I would say stop and take three deep breaths. Crack that door open. Let the logical side have a chance to re-engage to make your, your brain fully functioning on both sides before you make this decision. You know, really, that's that's the reason why we probably all grew up with mom or grandma telling us, sleep on it <laughs> or walk it off. Yeah. Right? Count to 10. That whole defusing time is time to re-engage the logical side of the brain to help you make wiser decisions going forward. So especially money-wise, if you have a big financial decision, and sometimes, especially in a couple situation, or certainly by yourself, you should identify a dollar amount. Let's just say $100, for example, and tell yourself, I am never going to spend $100 without sleeping on it first, mm -hmm. or 500 or 1000 or whatever it is. But that forces you to, how, how many times have we probably been in a store and we talk ourselves out of getting something we thought we were going to get and said, oh, maybe I'll just come back later. You ever come back later? Hardly ever. Yeah, rarely. Right? So sleep on it. Count to 10. Take a walk. Take three deep breaths. All of that is helping to re-engage the brain so that we can function with both sides and make wiser money decisions with our money tool. That is great advice. And to look at it as a tool, I never thought of it that way. I like that. And you had mentioned on your website, like you said, a man's tools, but also makeup. And I think you shared that this time. That is very different. Mm -hmm. I, I read where somebody said, money is just showing appreciation also. And I thought, wow, I never thought of that as kind of true. It's showing appreciation and the tool concept is great and it is good to give ourselves some time and like you said to engage the logical part of our brain because that emotional part can be very strong and we can often associate having money with security right. and feeling safe mm -hmm. and that's normal and natural and it's interesting. I bet everybody off the top of their head or if they thought about it for a minute have some money story they remember from childhood. I remember talking with a gal and I'm sure she was she was in her 70s and this still stuck in her brain from a time when she was in grade school. They had a May Day dance coming up at school. And the tradition for the May Day dance was that everybody came, the girls came, you know, dressed in a dress, and they would end up putting 
a shoe in the center of the circle and the boys would pick a shoe and whatever girl belonged to that shoe, that's who they would dance with. Wow, fun. And so in her household, and this is so common, you hear people reminisce about this often, is that, you know, maybe our family didn't have a lot of money back when I was a kid, but I probably didn't even realize it. A lot of times people yeah. had no idea. And that's kind of what she was saying. Is she had no idea until this May Day dance came and her mother told her, I have enough money to get you a new dress, but you're going to have to wear this, the shoes that you already have. So she goes to the May Day dance, puts her shoe in the middle. And to this day, she still remembers hers was the last oh, shoe ouch. picked. And the boy that picked it, picked it up. It must have had laces on it by the string and held it straight out. You can just visualize this like he was holding a dead rat. Uh. Ouch. She was scarred for life. She said she never realized, first of all, that they didn't have money like everybody else. Wow. And her feeling of not being good enough because of that one experience stuck with her for the rest of her life. Oh, bless her heart. And this is how, as adults, we need to be wise in what we do with children and even that kind of a game. It's like, hello, mm -hmm. people. And I remember this in gym class when the PE teacher would have Johnny, the star of the football team, and Joey, the star of the basketball team. <laughs> right. But then this is class. This is school. Pick their teams. Now, I was in the middle. I wasn't first, but I wasn't last. And that scenario you could say it's kind of scarred me for life, but in a way, I decided I'm going to be a PE teacher. I am never going to let that happen. I'm going to change the world. <laughs> right. And you, you just felt it. You yeah. wonder about these adults. What what are they thinking? Whoever did that game. <laughs> and here she had that beautiful new dress and mm -hmm. sadly couldn't even use that very much. Well, let's talk about, see, uh a woman has a thousand dollars. What would you advise her as a financial planner, a CFEP? What it, what should she do now? She's say um, earning some money. Maybe it's even on commission, which I know it, since I I mostly make my money kind of on commission. It's here and there. It's not. I'm not working for anybody. It's not a continual paycheck. Something you know what's coming every month. What advice do you have? Everyone is in a very different situation. So we always need to consider the big picture um, before giving, you know, individualized advice. And I'm, I'm primarily a fan of Dave Ramsey. If, if people have heard of Dave Ramsey's financial piece, he's written a book. We have a, a series of classes that he uh, makes available. I've helped to facilitate those at my church. And I, I think he has great advice. There's a, always a few things that, you know, I don't specifically agree with as a CFP, but he helps people see the priority order of, do you have an emergency cushion? And if, if that answer is, is yes, well, how big is it? You know, the general advice is, do you have three to six months of living expenses reserved 
in an account that's not at risk of going down. So if somebody has $1,000, that would be one of the first things I'd be asking is, do you have an emergency cushion in savings or money market Mm -hmm. that if suddenly your roof caved in or your car clicked or, you know, some major dollar expense came up that you wouldn't have to be scrambling to maybe take out your 401k to pay for it kind of thing. So that would certainly be a known that we'd we'd want to know before we suggest what to do with a thousand dollars. And I agree with Dave's next priority of once you have your savings and you should be looking at paying down debt. Mm-hmm. Now he is pretty extreme in his debt reduction, in my opinion, in that he even does not think you should continue to add to your 401k at work if you have one um, until you pay off all of your debt. So I'm a little more moderate. I think you can do a little bit of both and still uh, come out ahead, especially if there's a match involved. You would not want to leave the match on the table. That's literally leaving free money on the table. So a person with $1,000 already has their savings cushion and they're already paid down their debt and they're putting in at least their match. Then it's also good to think about, do you have any big expenses coming up? that you do know about tuition or some medical bill or something that you're going to need to pay in the next year or so. Then then beyond that, it is wise to be thinking about retirement. If you're, if you don't have a purchase that that you have to make and you're still able to put away 10 to 20%, right? As was the general guideline of 10 to 20% of your annual income is a good guideline to be socking away somewhere, whether it's in, 401k or a Roth or or a, a, just a regular investment, what do you call a taxable account in some stocks or mutual funds or ETF, for example. Um, so again, everybody's in a different situation as to what should they do with a, their $1,000 or whatever the amount is. Um, but those are some good things to think about as you, you go through kind of a checklist of what are my options. And is that part of what's in your book series, Financial Checklist book series? Want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, yes. So as a a board member on the Financial Awareness Foundation, which is an international organization that is trying to improve financial literacy in the world, actually not just in this country, but I am in total agreement with a lot of their tools their downloadable, printable, usable tools are about getting financially organized. And so that, to me, is the crucial starting point for everyone. You can't know what your next step is until you know what you have. Mm -hmm. So again, it's this whole idea of your toolbox, your tools, your money. What's the inventory of your toolbox? Mm -hmm. Do you know what's in your money toolbox? And so my checklist books are really helping us to take an inventory of what we have. And then once you have an idea of what you have, my books help you look a little closer at, well, how is it titled? Do I have a beneficiary designation? What if I end up in the hospital? Is my significant other, if I have one, or if I don't, who would I authorize to be able to go to the bank or or act on something financially for me if I can't at the moment or after I'm gone. So my checklist books are really focused on getting financially organized, but it's 
sometimes we need to be a little bit motivated. And I would say COVID, this is the blessing in the disguise. COVID has hopefully motivated a lot more people to think about the fact that the unexpected happens. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot less stressful and usually less costly for you and the family if you get some of these getting financially organized things in place. So it's a little bit of taking an inventory, getting financially organized, knowing what you have, and then a little bit of a state planning checklist because that's the whole account titling, beneficiary designation aspect that when you open an account at the bank, just as an example, a lot of people have never heard of the acronym POD, payable on death. Mm-hmm. Didn't know you could add a beneficiary on a bank account. Right. On a non-retirement bank account. So it's those kinds of things that I'm trying to help educate because too often, how does anybody learn any of this? We don't learn it most of the time in school. Families often aren't comfortable enough to to be aware themselves, to teach their children. Um, so... I'm hoping that the world gets a little smarter. I think about half of our states finally require personal finance in school. Arizona just passed that a year ago Mm -hmm. as a requirement for high school graduation that you have to have personal finance before you graduate. So we're getting there, but it's a case where most of what I'm sharing in the book uh, is not really taught anywhere. And yet nobody reads anymore. So I made them little checklist books. They're literally bullet point. You read the front cover to back cover in 20 minutes or less. Okay. <laughs> and I made them purse size because, again, we're talking about these three different types of couples. Women, this is a really sad statistic. <laughs> 90% of all women will eventually be totally in charge of their household finances because 80% of married men die married. 80% of married women die single. Yeah, wow. We're going to be on our own if we aren't already. And so we need to be comfortable or get comfortable with our money toolbox inventory. (laughs) Absolutely. And now is the time to do that. There's no reason to wait. It is. At all, which is why I wanted to interview you because it's one thing to talk about making money, but you have to know how to keep your money, how to... Spend a little, save some, give some away. It does need to be talked about a lot more, and it should be interwoven in school. I have a passion for financial literacy. I've had the blessing of helping that get passed here in Arizona through Senator Kimberly Yee and work with Sharon Lecter on getting that to happen. And I think, why why aren't kids financially literate when they graduate? You just, just through math courses and all different courses, you can teach it as kind of part of a certain subject. It's not Absolutely. that hard, but it is a lifelong skill. It is. One of the most important that we need. So even though you don't particularly have a starting over story, as most of my guests, you are it was very well needed to have a guest come on the podcast to let women know how do you keep your money <laughs> once you make it. So, is there anything else you want to share as we wrap up? I would invite uh, our friends listening to check out my website because we talked about my my books. I also have an ongoing podcast. I have free tools that are downloadable. 
combination of things that I have found and or uh, are available to the Financial Awareness Foundation. I have a new one that I'm going to be putting out uh, on Pinterest for purchase. Again, these are all opportunities to get a good handle on, on what you have so that you can be organized enough with your money tools to make wise decisions going forward. And probably one of the best suggestions I would um, invite folks to think about is that I have a monthly newsletter so that once a month, I'm not bugging you more than once a month, I'm delivering my blog, my newest tool, and my podcast right to your email so you don't have to go to my site to look for anything. And all of that is at mindmoneymotion.com. And you can reach me there if you want to email me. Um, but check out all the different things available. You can sign up for my newsletter again at mindmoneymotion.com. That sounds wonderful. And this has been so helpful, I know, for the many women listening. And actually, it doesn't matter where they live because I we have women listening all over the world. And I, I'm not sure exactly what happens in other cultures, but I'm guessing for the most part, maybe women are outliving men yeah. and need to know about how to be able to take care of themselves, to leave a legacy. And I know for me, it's like, I am not going to be dependent on my children <laughs> at any point of time in my life. But I know there's different cultures around the world where that's normal, which is great. It's not quite normal here in America. We're probably too independent here in America, but that's how it is right now in the United States. This was absolutely wonderful. Marie, I appreciate your joining us to talk to our friend listening to help her know about making money just a tool. That's all it is. It is a tool. Thanks Thank you, Nora. for listening. And hey, if you're looking for a Christmas present for your daughter, go on Marie's website and buy a Christmas present. For it's a baby. great stocking stuffer, really. It fits right in there. Right. Or maybe your mother, if your mother or grandmother or, or maybe they're a widow and they don't have the understanding about money that they need. I am sure that this financial checklist book series would be a blessing for them so all right thanks for listening until next time and follow me on twitter facebook instagram and share some things going on there for you and the successes that you've been experiencing my listening friend okay bye-bye well my friend thank you for letting me be with you today Please leave a review so that women that need help can find this podcast. I am Nora Ellen, your host. See you next time on Women Starting Over.